This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. Summit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., and aired on Lancer Broadcasting's two powerful FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi's 12 radio stations in the South, we're delighted to host an extraordinary conservative leader and a great American, Cheryl Chumley. Cheryl Chumley is online opinion editor for The Washington Times, the best-selling author of Socialists Don't Sleep, and Amazon bestseller in several categories. Cheryl has worked for years in newspaper journalism, winning numerous investigative and hard news awards in the process and using the Freedom of Information Act and Sunshine Laws to hold government officials accountable and in newsrooms as a host, producer, and writer. In addition to writing daily commentaries on politics and public speaking, Cheryl hosts a twice-weekly broadcast podcast that looks at news, politics and culture from a Christian conservative perspective. It's called Bold and Blunt, and it's available on Spotify, Apple, and other hosting sites and at the Washington Times. We encourage our listeners to visit CherylChumley.com. She's an Army veteran and also a licensed private investigator. A sequel to the best-selling Socialists Don't Sleep, Cheryl Chumley's new book, Lockdown, The Socialist Plan to Take Away Your Freedom, will be released in the months to come. And on this note, we welcome Cheryl Chumley. A good morning to you, Cheryl. Welcome. Good morning, Cheryl. Hi, Joel, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. I always love to be on your show. It's such an honor. Thank Thank you you. indeed, Cheryl. In your recent piece published in the Washington Times titled America on Afghanistan Lost Moral Standing, you write, and I quote, Biden's hasty chaotic exodus from Afghanistan has left the country in upheaval, has left scores of people dead, injured, scrambling to find shelter and safety, and in state of horrific uncertainty, has left America's allies in righteously outraged shock at the suddenness of it all and failures of the administration to inform, has left the terrorist element in Afghanistan and around the world emboldened to join forces and expand their terrorist ways." Unquote. Cheryl, we truly never imagined seeing this chaos and mayhem in Afghanistan. And what are your greater concerns about the Biden administration's policies, specifically on the foreign policy and security fronts? And how will this impact American families in the Midwest and the South in America's heartland? What a great question. And, you know, we could discuss the impacts, the fallout from this for probably an entire hour. But just to run down a few of them. First and foremost, when America appears weak on the global scale, it allows, it opens the doors for America's enemies 
and those nations that have hostile intent toward the West to step in and fill what they perceive as a void. And this is exactly what's happening in Afghanistan. Now, ISIS has become emboldened again, China, Iran, all these players that have been quieted over the last few years of the very strong Donald Trump administration suddenly see weakness, they smell weakness, and they are just circling to to exploit and take advantage of it. So that's a huge national security concern for all of America. As a matter of fact, I would not be surprised if sometime in the next year, uh, very soon, we start to see terrorist cells on our own country, on our own soil, rise up and start to exploit the weakness of this administration as well and launch terror attacks on America's domestic lands. And certainly, even out in the Midwest, that's a massive fright. We need to be on guard against that. But even more than that, than that uh, very real threat from national security and from terrorism, now we have Afghans coming to America that haven't been fully vetted, right? We don't know who all the citizens are that Joe Biden has managed to let into this country. So that only exasperates the terror threats that we are already facing with a weak White House. And to me, the greatest thing is that America, America, the good country, America, the country that always comes in to help other nations in need, right? We have lost a moral standing. We've lost our moral high ground because we have promised Americans in Afghanistan, our allies and interpreters in Afghanistan, the ones who for the last almost two decades have put their own individual lives and that of their families in jeopardy to help our American troops over there, we've forgotten them, we've betrayed them, we've left them behind. And that looks horrible when you look at it through the prism of the global community. It looks like America makes promises, but doesn't keep them. And that is so different from what the last administration was, which really had a motto, promise made, promise kept, that we heard several times uh, coming from Trump's own mouth over the course of his administration. The moral standing that America had had for so long is now crumbling. And that is so sad and sorry. I'm not ashamed to be an American, but I am ashamed at what this White House has done, how this White House has portrayed America now through Afghanistan. Cheryl, in your column, you've really pointed it so well that America today has lost its moral authority, not just only at the world stage, but internally within the United States. And in fact, on Friday this past week, Cheryl, police shot and killed a suspected Islamist terrorist who stabbed several people in a supermarket in Wellington, New Zealand, uh, a large city, uh, one of the largest cities in New Zealand. And it appears that we are witnessing the return of global jihad. The Economist magazine in a recent report stated, and I quote, Islamist insurgents will be inspired by the Taliban's triumph in Afghanistan. Through willpower, patience, and cunning, a low-budget band of holy warriors has vanquished America and taken charge of a medium-sized country. To Muslims who yearn to expel infidels and overthrow secular states, it was evidence that God approves the ripple effect could be felt far and wide, unquote. 
And this past week, New Zealand, an ally of America, received an awful wake-up call. Uh, Cheryl, what do you think about how policymakers in the Beltway and the Biden White House officials are looking at all of this? And are they aware of the adverse impact of their ad hoc and unprincipled decisions which run counter to the principal policy of peace through strength that President Reagan and even most recently President Trump affirmed through his term in office. I think that this White House, this administration, isn't just tone deaf, it's unconcerned. It's more concerned with the politics of the situation than it is with the pragmatic fallout that they've created, the chaos that they've created. I don't think that this administration is looking to solve the problems that were created by this hasty, unplanned, unstrategic, and dangerous exit from Afghanistan so much as they are looking to the next election and how to keep the majorities in Congress, and after that, how to keep a Democrat in the White House. If this administration were truly concerned about solving the crisis that, that, that they caused, we wouldn't be seeing Joe Biden go out there and give speech after speech where he, on one hand, in one one remark takes blame for what's come from Afghanistan, talks about how the buck stops with him, but in the very next sentence start to blame the Donald Trump administration for signing the withdrawal deal and pretending like he was committed to doing exactly what Donald Trump spelled out with that withdrawal deal in terms of deadlines. We wouldn't hear Joe Biden throwing the Afghan army under the bus. We wouldn't hear Joe Biden throwing his generals and his intel people under the bus. All Joe Biden does since Afghanistan, uh, the exodus of Afghanistan, is just blame as many other people as he can. And so when you look at where that's going to lead, the policies that's going to continue to come from this administration are going to be those of weakness. They're going to be those of CYA, to put it bluntly. They're going to try and cover their butt. And it's a little bit heartening to me to see even the mainstream media criticize this administration for the Americans left behind. It's about time we see those in the left of the media rise up and criticize some poor policies of Democrat leaders. And there still won't be any real change from this administration. I think it's just going to continue the weakness, the weak policies are going to continue to come forward from this administration. And we're going to see real threats rise up around the world. We're going to see the terrorists emboldened, and we're going to see more uh, rising of terrorist types and terrorist attacks for the next three plus years of this administration. Cheryl, President Trump had inherited 16 years of U.S. military presence in Afghanistan, and a Taliban was removed from power by the U.S. forces in 2001. So in the last few weeks, estimated 80,000 well-funded Taliban fighters took over the country of some 40 million people, and former Afghan government relied on 300,000 soldiers. As we have already shared with our listeners on America's Roundtable Radio, Afghanistan is the world's leading producer of opium. 90% of the world's production of heroin is coming from Afghanistan. And it has been reported that those illicit trafficking has been bankrolling the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and Hamas. Now, the questions for America, our European allies and freedom-seeking people in Afghanistan, is 
First, how to cut illicit drug trafficking which sustains the Taliban and terrorist groups in the region and also kills our fellow citizens who are consuming drugs. And secondly, how to establish the rule of law and property rights to be able to bring to market Afghanistan's mineral deposits, including the largest deposit of lithium, all estimated at nearly $1 trillion. Afghanistan has a potential to be a prosperous country and America and our allies would benefit from this transformation. What are your thoughts about it? Those are really tough questions, Natasha, because look, how can America now have any influence in Afghanistan without going back in there with guns ablazing, uh, to put it bluntly, because the Taliban has now taken over and they're actively forming partnerships with China, for instance. China wants to exploit, wants to partner with Afghanistan and exploit all those resources that you just described. And as far as the the heroin production, the opium production that leads to heroin sales that come into America's own borders. Well, Joe Biden and his administration don't close America's borders. They're actively opening them. So I don't know the way out. I don't know the way out how to bring Afghanistan out of its, its days of darkness that has it has been suddenly plunged into and how to bring them back into modern times, into some sort of uh, free type of society where they recognize private property rights and they recognize, for instance, women's rights. Because we had that. We had that in Afghanistan. We were making progress toward that. Look at all the, the progress women have made in that country in the last almost two decades. They've been allowed to travel freely. They've had jobs. You've had young girls who have been born in the last few years who have grown up being educated and had big dreams of becoming doctors and lawyers and business owners. And suddenly overnight, those things have been stripped from them and they're thrown back in their homes and they're put back into head to toe body coverings and they're endangered if they dare to step into the streets without a male escort, without male permission again. To answer your question, we need in this country, honestly, a change of White House leadership, one that can recognize that you can't go in and simply diplomatically talk your way to freedom with terrorists. We need to have partnerships with those countries that do come in right now and exploit the situation and form partnerships with the Taliban. We need to make those diplomatic partnerships with those nations in, so we can perhaps have some influence now uh, with how free market, freedom-loving principles go forth in the nation. It's a tough one, right? How do we go back and undo the damage that has come from this administration? It's really that Afghanistan has been plunged into darkness and the hope for their free future, it's very difficult to see at this time. Sheryl, uh, let us just uh, briefly address infrastructure bill. So after months of negotiations, the Senate passed a $1 trillion infrastructure bill on August 10 with 19 Republicans, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, joining 50 Democrats. Now, at this time, House Democrats led by Pelosi announced that they will block the $1 trillion infrastructure bill unless additional 
$3.5 trillion bill for so-called human infrastructure is passed. Now, they are packaging it as a reconciliation package, uh, which would not need a supermajority in the Senate. Uh, however, it would need all 50 Democrats and Kamala Harris to agree. There are a few Democrat senators who oppose this high price tag, and uh, one of them is Senate Democrat Joe Manchin from West Virginia. And actually, I like what he said in Wall Street Journal's open piece. He said, establishing an artificial $3.5 trillion spending number and then reverse engineering the partisan social priorities priorities that should be funded isn't how you make good policy. Uh, Sherry, what are your thoughts about it? Well, the infrastructure, the $1 trillion infrastructure bill, I know that there were a lot of uh, conservatives, a lot of Republicans that expressed shock and outrage that 19 Republicans actually signed on to that bill. But you have to remember the $1 trillion uh, infrastructure bill was by and large aimed at actual infrastructure, you know, roads, bridges, things like that, that the common sense person understands as infrastructure. This 3.5 trillion boondoggle is basically a redefining of infrastructure so that the left, the Democrats, the socialists and communists in the Democrat Party can use it to redistribute funds as they see fit. They're trying to redefine roads and bridges, the definition of infrastructure to inc include human activities. And it's it's ridiculous. And it's yet another expense that America cannot afford. We are basically enslaving our next generation to pay off what could be this ridiculous so-called infrastructure bill. And if Joe Manchin actually stands strong on this, he will be a hero in America for many liberty-loving Americans, Republican and Democrat, the, the few in the Democrat Party who are still moderate and love this nation, because he'll put a stop not just to the money factor, to the overspending, to the bloated bureaucracy of the bill, but he'll put a stop to the Democrats' uh, very clever way of redefining terms so it suits their socialist agenda. Look, infrastructure means roads and bridges and things that we all use in, in this country to travel freely on, uh, the structures, the physical structures of America. If we allow the left to redefine infrastructure to include human activities and so forth, the, it, the possibilities for the Democrat Party going forward in the next three years under Joe Biden's White House will be endless. We will be paying for ridiculous provisions all defined under this new Democrat term uh, of infrastructure. Instead of leaving money in the wallet of individuals who can best decide on their own how they're going to spend their money, Democrats are taking a socialist approach whereby the government would take money away from individuals through taxes and the government would decide how to spend it. There are actually two relevant issues here. Firstly, government control of individual spending. And secondly, who is going to pay for it? The national debt has reached a new record high level of $28.7 trillion, and it is growing. Yeah, we're just one step away from crumbling based on our own debt load anyhow. And so to add this to it just tells me that Congress 
not only doesn't have any financial sense, but that they are purposely trying to bankrupt America in order to create the sort of chaos that allows the Democrats to come in and pretend like they're going to save Americans. And, you know, you nailed it, Natasha. It's just a socialist program in disguise of trying to help uh, average Americans. In fact, this is a great segue into your new forthcoming book, uh, which will be released in the months to come, a sequel to the best-selling Socialists Don't Sleep and its title, Lockdown, The Socialist Plan to Take Away Your Freedom. Now, Governor Mike Huckabee writes, and I quote, Don't put off reading this book and regret that you failed to realize the threat we face, unquote. Cheryl, can you share with our listeners an overview of what you hope that readers will take away from your book, uh, specifically for patriotic citizens who deeply care about this nation and its future? Thank you. Thank you for that, Joel. And um, yes, you know, just in the briefest um, description, my briefest hope for what people will take away from lockdown is think for yourself critically think. Because if you look back over this year and a half now of the coronavirus, the main thing that's been lacking from the discussions, from the public discourse, from individual determinations on how they should live their lives is is the concept of critically thinking. We have all been swept away, not all, but we as a nation have been swept away by this big fear of the coronavirus, getting uh, sick, of dying, of something, uh, you know, health-wise, happening that we have no control over, that we have forgotten to look at data and apply data to how it compares in context of what could happen if we just stop doing business, if we stop going to church, if we stay home, stay out of school. And so what has happened after the first couple weeks, we did have some reports, we did have data that could show us where the coronavirus having its most adverse impacts. And as certainly as the months went by, we learned much from the data that showed there are certain populations that didn't have adverse impacts from the coronavirus at all. And yet Democrats kept declaring emergency, emergency, help, emergency. We have to stay home. We have to stay out of work. And what that did was allow the government to come in and advance their long-held socialist, collectivist, globalist-minded principles and flip America from a nation where individualism counts first, where God-given rights reign into a nation of collectivism, where we are all being conditioned to think of the nation, the state first, before individualism. And in my book, Lockdown, I detail the many ways this has crept in and where it's coming from in hopes that people, when the next pandemic comes, which it will, that they slow the roll on just mass obedience of government and start to take a cooler head approach, an individual approach in how to deal with it. It is scary to see a new generation which is susceptible to and accepting these new rules as the new norm, and how will they affect public policy in the near future? Cheryl, what can we do to reverse these developments which can be detrimental to our freedoms? Yeah, that's the big fear, right? Because now we have, look around, we have young kids walking around outside by themselves wearing face masks and thinking that that is the the norm. That's how they should live their lives. 
Always now, anytime there's a health threat, anytime there's a virus, which means any flu season, back with the face mask, back with the socially distancing and, and back with maybe even staying out of work and closing business and living off the taxpayer dime. So how do we overcome that? My book ends the, the same way all my commentaries end. The, the basic theme here is that we need to reawaken the Judeo-Christian community to realize the threats that come from removing God from the public platform, which allow government to come in and exploit the situation and assume leadership in this country over areas in which they have no rightful leadership role. So in this country, our big bit of exceptionalism is that our rights come from God, not government. But that's not just a blessing. It's a responsibility of individuals where we all as individuals have to fight to keep God at the forefront in order to keep government subservient to the people. So in the end, that is the ultimate fight. And what we have to do on the day-to-day now is we have to get more involved in schools. We have to fight back against these zealot tyrant school boards and school officials. We have to actually run for school board seats. We have to actually get involved in PTA meetings and and demand that our public servants in the school systems listen to us. And the good news on this, Natasha and Joel, is that we're seeing this. We're seeing so many parents now rise up and fight these public indoctrination schools uh, that are conditioning our, our youth to believe in the idea of collectivism, not individualism. Cheryl, we truly appreciate your principal leadership in advancing constitutional principles and our Judeo-Christian tradition. We encourage our listeners to certainly go to Amazon and other platforms to pick up your book, Socialists Don't Sleep. Natasha and I highly recommend this great book and also the next book coming up in the few months, Lockdown, The Socialist Plan to Take Away a Freedom. Reserve your copy today. Uh, Cheryl Chumley is the online opinion editor for The Washington Times, the best-selling author of Socialists Don't Sleep, an Amazon bestseller in several categories. Cheryl, we thank you so much for joining us on America's Roundtable. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you both so much for having me. God bless. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.